presence of God we feel in this place. I know several were concerned about the uh, severe thunderstorm warning uh, that's over us even, even now, just a little bit in Hamilton County. But we thank the Lord for his hand of protection. Amen. And we pray for protection even from power surges. Amen. If we want a power surge, we want it to be a Holy Ghost power surge. Praise the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. We're going to look into the word of the Lord. I'm going to begin uh, from the book of James in the second chapter. And we are continuing with our uh, study of your faith, the power of your faith. And uh, the, the subject that we've been covering is an important subject because, uh, which, you know, by the way, when we call it a subject, that's a very unique term to use. And it's, it's notable that we would refer to a topic of information as a subject. Why do we call it a subject? It is a subject because by the time you get done learning it and understanding it, you have mastered it. And so it now this information becomes subject to you and you are able to use it uh, for your edification in the Lord. And so when we talk about the power of your faith as the subject, then we hope and pray that by the learning of the word of the Lord, that you will be able to utilize your faith in a way that will bless you and bless those around you. And so our first uh, week of studying the power of your faith, we talked about the fact that faith is a gift. It is the gift of faith. And so it is yours. It belongs to you. And God gave it to you. Gave unto every man the measure of faith. So you don't have to go outside of, of uh, God or outside of yourself in God to, to get faith. You can know that the Lord has given you the faith that you need. It is a gift of faith. Then we spoke of the fact that faith is a fruit. It grows when the word of God, which is the seed, is deposited into your spirit. It grows. The fruit of the Spirit grow. And one of the uh, fruits that grows so beautifully is this fruit of the Spirit called faith. And so when you exercise that faith, then that faith carries with it the Word of God within it. And so it's a beautiful thing. The third uh, week, we discussed the fact that faith operates as a word. It is the word of faith. The Scripture says the word of faith is nigh thee even in thy mouth. And so you can speak the word of faith and have power from God in your life by declaring your faith in God and, uh, and, and letting faith operate as a word uh, from the Lord. Tonight we're going to be discussing the matter of faith as an action, the act of faith, the act of faith. Everybody say the act of faith. Faith is an action. So we're going to begin by James, looking at James chapter 2, and, and we're going to read from the 26th verse. This is a very powerful passage of Scripture, and, and I'm going to read to you uh, all of it, as a matter of fact. Let's, let's go ahead and begin uh, uh, reading from verse 14 of James chapter 2. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? Now, by grace are you saved through faith. But James is clearly making the point that faith cannot save you 
if faith does not have works? It's a rhetorical question. What does it profit a man if he say, I have faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed, be ye filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? So he's saying here, the word of faith is an aspect of faith. But without the work or the act of faith, then it is incomplete. Verse 17, even so faith, if it hath not works, now this is huge, is dead. Being alone. So that's what we have to understand about this multi-angular uh, truth about faith. Faith operates as a gift. Faith operates as a fruit. Faith operates as a word. And faith operates as a work. And, and you have to let it operate in its fullness in order for faith to have the power that faith can have. If not, then it, it is dead being alone. Verse 18, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. There are people who say, you believe, but I do. And he said, show me thy faith without your works. So show me your belief without works. It's impossible. But I will show you my faith by my works. My works are evidence of my faith, of my belief in God, the persuasion of my soul. That's actually what this word is, the persuasion. It's not a mere statement of belief. It's an actual persuasion of one's being. Verse 19, notice what he says about belief in verse 19. And we like to quote this and it's, by itself, but rarely do we put it in this context as it is supposed to be put into this context. James 2.19, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. So kind of a golf clap for thou believest there is one God, good job. You, you, you understand the obvious, there is one God, but the devils also believe and they take it a step further, they tremble. Sometimes we believe in one God and we can take it or leave it. Great, wonderful. I might, get my, I might praise him on Sunday about it. But the devils are so persuaded of this belief in one God, they tremble at this understanding of one God. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? You can say you believe all day long. You can say you're persuaded all day long. But if you are truly persuaded, there will be works. If this side of the church believed that this ceiling was going to cave in on them at any given second, we would know by their works. They would be standing up, you'd be scurrying over to this side of the church because you were persuaded. But if it's just a statement of belief and not an actual persuasion of your soul, then you'll sit nonchalantly and relaxed and not put works to what it is you say that you believe. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered his son Isaac upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by works was faith made perfect. With works was made, faith made perfect. So works without faith is incomplete. 
But faith without works is also incomplete. So the scripture goes on to say, Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by his works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So James is telling us that the scripture was fulfilled when Abraham said, I believe God. He believed God. That was not just a mental acceptance, but it was a soulful persuasion, a spiritual, a holistic persuasion of his being. And it moved him to obedience and moved him to works. Verse number 24. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Verse 25, likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body, and this is, this is key, and I want to focus in on verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So if your body is without your spirit, that is exactly the way faith without works would appear. It would be, it would simply be a statement without animation, without vitality, without strength. It is the spirit within a man that makes his body move and function and be vital and be full of life and to be vibrant. The same is true of faith with works. Your faith is merely a shell of potential, of possibility. All dressed up but without works has no place to go. And so it is very important that we, that we find out how to make faith work. Hallelujah. This, this thing we call faith, ladies and gentlemen, is this, this powerful, this explosive, this glorious, wonderful uh, a thing called faith, God forbid that it should lie dormant, that it should sit on the sideline of our life and be this beautiful gift from God that He gives to us to overcome the wicked one, that He gives to us to overcome all of the vices of the enemy, to stand in the evil day, and yet we leave it on the sideline because we don't understand how to use it. And so it's very important that we understand how to use faith and how to operate faith. And so this is why we teach it. It's a gift. It's a fruit. It's a word. It's an act. It's a, it's a work. And so notice who James points to in his writing about faith with works and faith without works. He's writing about Abraham who believed God. And it was counted unto Abraham for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. And his faith was imputed unto him for righteousness. What you know about Abraham, ladies and gentlemen, is that through his faith, he dramatically impacted his family. To this day, the Lord God is a sun and shield to the descendants of Abraham. You know, Abraham had many sons, had many sons, had 
Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just all praise the Lord. Right hand, left hand, right foot, left foot, nod your head, turn around, stay seated. And, and, and we're here because of a man named Abraham who believed God and was persuaded in his spirit of the things of God and obeyed and operated and had faith, and it affected his whole family. He then mentions Rahab, Rahab the harlot, who protected the spies when they came in to spy out the land of Canaan. And she took a step of faith, and she protected these men, these spies, and sheltered them, provided them refuge from those who would seek their life, and God honored her. And this faith that she demonstrated and could have lost her own life in the process. What did it do? It saved her family. This is the power of faith. Notice what happened with Noah. One, one of the first ones that Hebrews 11 references in the great hall of faith concerning those Old Testament figures who believed and it was counted unto them for righteousness, who by faith did many wonderful things. One of the, one of the examples Hebrews 11 points to is Noah. The preacher of righteousness. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, was moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Now that's not talking about the saving of his, you know, 2,000 square foot, three bedroom, two bath, full car garage. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about his family. If you can employ faith, and let faith work in your life as a gift, as a fruit, as a word, as a work, as an action. And let faith come, come full force into your life. That's, ladies and gentlemen, how you're going to have the opportunity and the ability to save your family. And so, so it's important that you get it, that you really absorb the power of faith. So since we're talking about Hebrews 11, let's go there. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to look at uh, verse number number 8. Hebrews chapter, well we'll start with verse 1. Because here we get the definitive definition. The definitive understanding, knowledge of faith. Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith is. I love the definitive statements of the Bible. Like when Peter got up and said this is that. No question what he's talking about. This is that. So we understand what this is and we understand what that is. Hebrews 11 and 1, we get a this is that moment. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now faith is the evidence of things not seen. Uh, folks, that is such a powerful statement. It is hard to uh, almost grasp with the human brain how, how powerful that is and how profound that is the evidence of things not seen things you can't see need evidence and faith is the evidence you can't see joy but when you see somebody rejoicing in God despite the circumstances of their life that is evidence of things not seen you could look at them all day and say, I just don't see it. I don't see why they would have joy. 
All hell is breaking loose in their life. Chaos is erupting all around them. One problem after another crops up and they, they seem to just come through it with such patient persistence. They seem to just come through it being secured and settled by the peace of God that passes all understanding. I don't see why there would be peace or that there is joy or that there is a blessed assurance. But the evidence of those invisible things is the fact that the person continues to demonstrate faith in God. Worshiping God, praising God, serving God, living for God, loving God, being faithful to the things of God. And this is the evidence of the stuff you cannot see with your naked eye. Amen. It was by faith that the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Hallelujah. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Hallelujah. And then he goes into this, this list of people. And the thing that stands out about this list of people in Hebrews 11, they call it the hall of faith or the faith chapter. And, and the thing that stands out about each of them is that their faith was demonstrated by an action. We know they had faith because there was an action that provided evidence for the persuasion of their soul. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Verse 5. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. Verse 6 we have to read because it's just so beautiful. Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's look at verse 7. By faith Noah being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. What did he do? How do you know? How do you know that Noah had faith in God? How do you know that Noah believed that rain was coming, that the fountains of the deep were going to open up? Is it because he simply said, I believe? Is it because he made a statement, a verbal statement about his belief in God? Or is there some kind of action that was a, accompanying the faith that he declared. The action that Noah took was that he prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Now he could believe all day long that the rain was coming. But believing that the rain was coming did not save his house. He could believe all day long that the earth would be flooded. But believing that the earth would be flooded did not save his house. He could even believe that God could save him and his house. But believing only could not save his house. He had to prepare an ark to the saving of his house. Now God told him what to do. God told him how to do it. He didn't have to create something on his own. He didn't have to recreate a wheel, if you please. He didn't have to guess at it or, or take, take shots in the dark. God told him. The word of God spoke to him and said, this is how you do it. And this is what it's going to look like. And this is how big it's going to be. God gave him down to the very 
details of cubic inches how he was to prepare the ark. And let me tell you something about salvation. God will give you the details of how you can be saved. And you can believe he's your savior and you must. But you must demonstrate that belief by taking action. Oh, hallelujah. Because faith without works is dead. So there is an act of faith. Praise the Lord. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called out. Now, this verse is very strong. I just want to read it to you. Listen to, listen to this. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed. He went out. Not knowing whither he went. That's faith. That's great faith. That faith is so great that God, it, 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 it opened up the blessings of God in such an amazing way. Abraham went out. He didn't even know where he was going. He's just walking, doing what God told him to do. Go out, go out, go out. And he didn't know whether he, where he was going. But he knew that the Lord said to leave your father's house, leave your father's kindred. I will show you a place. And Abraham went out not knowing whither he went. This happened another time in Abraham's life. Genesis chapter 22. The Lord said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah unto one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. In other words, you can, you're going to go walking looking for a mountain. I'm not even going to tell you which mountain to go to. But when you get there, I'll tell you, you're there. So Abraham's walking. Not only did he hope and believe and know somehow by faith that God would provide a substitute for Isaac, his son. But, but he also did not know which mountain to, to traverse until the Lord told him, the mountain upon which he should go, Mount Moriah. And so Abraham did not know whether he, whether he, where he was going. He just knew to obey the Lord. Now, I often wonder, how many people did God talk to before he talked to Abraham? I just wonder. Because, you know, in one place, in the book of 1 Samuel, the scripture says the word of God was precious in those days. That doesn't mean that, that, it, that they, like, put it up on the, on the shelf and adored it and thought, oh, how precious. That means it was rare. It was rare for the word of God to be present. And, and, and what it particularly means is that the word of God was precious. It was rare. Not everybody was listening to it. Not everybody could hear it. This is in the days of Samuel. This is setting the stage for when Samuel would hear the voice of God. So, so the word of God, when we say the word of God, we mean the Bible, right? When we say the Word of God, we mean the Bible. But it's important that we understand the Word of God is the voice of God. This is the voice of God scripted, put into script form so we can read it. And so these, that's why we call it the Holy Script, Scriptures. It is the Word of God is the voice of God, and the Scriptures is the voice of God transcribed. And so if you listen to the voice of God... And the voice of God tells you something other than what the Holy Scriptures tell you. You're listening to the wrong voice. Because the voice of God that you hear in prayer will not contradict the Scriptures that you 
read. Hallelujah. And so Samuel, the way they heard the word of God in those days was God would speak to them. And the word of God was precious in those days. So when Samuel heard the Lord say, Samuel, Samuel, it was, it was a remarkable phenomena. In fact, it was so remarkable and Samuel had never experienced it. He thought it was Eli. I contend Eli probably had never heard the voice of God. Because Eli didn't know the voice. He told Samuel a couple times to go lay down. And then the Bible says, then he perceived that it was the voice of God. It, he finally caught on, but it wasn't because, it didn't seem to be because of his understanding of it. But simply that he was beginning to perceive that the Lord must be speaking. I believe, or I wonder, pardon me, I wonder how many people heard from the Lord in Abraham's day and how many people rejected what the Lord was telling them because when Abraham heard it he didn't reject it he believed it and he believed it so thoroughly he obeyed what the Lord said to him and he didn't even know where it would end him up and he didn't know where it would take him but he said fine I'll do whatever you tell me to do I'll go I'll go I'll go I'll walk I'll walk I'll walk I'll do I'll do I'll do whatever the Lord tells me to do wherever the Lord tells me to go I'm going to do it and and it so it so impressed God that the Lord imputed it unto him for righteousness. In other words, God said because of this wholehearted obedience and this, uh, this, this abandonment to faith in me, I'm going to count it for righteousness. When you stand in judgment, this is going to count for your righteousness. That's how it impressed the Lord. And it impressed him so much God just started to pour blessings out on him. And the blessings are still in effect today. He started saying things like, oh my word. Blessing, I will bless thee. Multiplying, I will multiply thee. I will make your seed as the sands of the sea. I will make your seed as the stars in the heavens. I will, th those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. And I will give you this land. And I have a land for you. And the Lord just blessed and blessed and blessed and made covenant with Abraham because of the faith. Can I tell you that that's exactly what the Lord will do for you when you put faith in him? And when you back that faith up with action, he will do it. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13. These all died in faith. Listen, we are going, should the Lord tarry, we are going to go by way of the grave. Unless the Lord returns and catches us all away. And the way things look, that could happen tonight. But if he doesn't come back before we pass away, we're going to pass away. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And you better get ready because you don't know when that will happen. And we pray God's protection, but if we've learned anything recently, we've learned we simply do not know what tomorrow holds. And we all better be ready to meet the Lord because we simply do not know what tomorrow holds. And, and so if you're going to die, die in faith. Die believing. Die holding on to God. Die serving God. Die being faithful. Die a worshiper. Die a believer. 
die in faith. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. And here's where it comes in. I want to talk to you about this. But having seen them afar off, if you're not praying, you're not going to see the promises afar off. If you're not reading your Bible, you're not going to see the promises of God afar off. You're going to be blinded by the things of this world. You're going to be blinded by spiritual attacks that come against you. You're going to be blinded by your fault finding in others. But if you'll be in prayer, if you'll be immersed in the word of God, you will see the promises of God afar off. And this is the effect it will have upon you. You will be persuaded of them. That's faith. That's faith. Persuaded of them. But this is faith with works. Embrace them. That's the act of faith. Embrace them. And confess that you are strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So verse 13. These all died in faith not having received the promises. But having seen them afar off. They were persuaded of them. They embraced them. And they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. These are three things every one of us need to do. Number one, we need to be persuaded of the promises of God. I'm persuaded of the promises of God. I am persuaded that nothing shall be able to separate me from the love of Christ. I am persuaded that he has gone to prepare a place for me that where he is, there I may be also. I am persuaded that the blood of Jesus has washed away my sins. Come on, somebody. You've got to be persuaded concerning the promises of God. I am persuaded that he is a healer. I am persuaded that he is a deliverer. I am persuaded that he has all power in heaven and in earth. I am persuaded that his mercy endures to all generations, that his truth endures to all generations, and that his mercy endureth forever. I am persuaded that by grace I am saved through faith. I am persuaded that God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory we are persuaded hallelujah you better get persuaded if you're not persuaded you better get persuaded because there's coming a day when all that can be shaken shall be shaken time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but will heed to themselves teachers having itching ears and you're going to find yourself in a position in a position of being persuaded of ungodly lies of the enemy instead of the truth of God's word you better be persuaded that he is love. You better be persuaded that he is the way, the truth, and the life. You'd better be persuaded. You better pray until you're persuaded. You better seek God until you're persuaded. You better seek his face until his spirit comes down in all of his glory and in all of his power. And he persuades you. Hallelujah. We're going to get to this in a moment. But don't you know that's one of the reasons why you've gone through some of the trials in life? Because before the trial started, you weren't persuaded. And you better be persuaded. You know, I really have a concern about faith. Listen to me. I have a concern about faith. I don't, I, I don't think it's right to let people just do things because somebody told them to do it, even if it's the right thing to do. They've got to believe. They've got to be persuaded. Yes, you need works, but you need faith. Faith without works is dead. But works 
without faith, they have no power either. It's just an empty work. You have to be persuaded of the promises of God. And here's how, here's how you know if you are persuaded of the promises of God. They saw the promises afar off. They were persuaded of them. And they embraced them. This is how you know if you're persuaded of the promises of God. You embrace the promises. You embrace, hallelujah, you embrace the blood of Jesus. You embrace the resurrection, the message of the resurrection, the hope of the resurrection, the power of the gospel. You embrace the oneness of God. You embrace the power of prayer. You embrace the power of faith in God. You embrace it. You get a hold of it. It's not, it's not something you casually are acquainted with. It's not something you just look at. In, in every now and then that you know we're you know you know what it's like the difference between an acquaintance and 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 somebody you love so much that when you see them you're going to grab them and hug their neck there's a difference between those folks there's some folks you know because you've met them a time or two and when you see them it's how you doing good to see you brother sister god bless you amen you take good care good to see you again i'll see you next year at this same event. But, but when it's somebody that you are persuaded of them, persuaded of their love, you embrace them. That's how you have to be about the things of the Lord. Not a casual acquaintance. Not some kind of a casual encounter. Not just a thing you have going on in your life, but an embracing of the truth of God. An embracing of the holiness of God. An embracing of, of the nature of God. An embracing of heaven. Now when you embrace heaven, you're going to distance yourself from things of this world. And that's what they said. That's the next thing that happens. So first you're persuaded. Then you embrace. And one of the reasons why you're having trouble in your walk with God is you are not embracing him. You are embracing things of this world. You're embracing fear. You are embracing Depression, you are embracing carnality, you are embracing fleshly lusts. And, and, and somehow you have become persuaded of the power of those things, but not persuaded of the power and the promises of God. You must become persuaded of the promises of God. You must embrace the promises of God. And then in verse 13, they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. There's a lot of people, listen, there are a lot of people who want to confess Jesus, but don't want to confess that they are strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You can't confess both. You can't confess your allegiance to Christ and your allegiance to this world at the same time. There are a lot of people who want it both ways. They want to have that carnal cake and eat it too. Listen, you have to confess your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the moment that you confess your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are at the same time confessing, hey, I'm a stranger and I'm a pilgrim on this earth. This world is not my home. I am just passing through. My treasures are different treasures than what others on this earth may, may value. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Hallelujah. Somebody's got to get into the habit of confessing. Hallelujah. The Lord Jesus Christ is your God and your Savior. And at the same, simultaneously, at the same moment, you are confessing your stranger status on this earth. Now when you confess your stranger status on this earth, that means you're not going to fit in. With everything that goes on in this world. There's some places that you are not going to go. There's some places you're not going to feel comfortable going. And, and they're going to look at you as the oddball out. And you, you're going to dress differently. You're going to think differently. You're going to act differently. And you're not doing it to be holier than anybody. But your confession is concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Not an allegiance to this world or this world's system. And so, ladies and gentlemen, that's the confession you want to make. Because that's what's going to last forever. When this world is on fire, His kingdom is going to stand. When this world has nothing left to offer, His kingdom is going to stand. So confess, hallelujah, your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. And say, I'm persuaded. I'm persuaded that heaven is real. I'm persuaded that this world is temporary. You know, everybody knows that this world is volatile. They know that. You, and we all know it. We don't know when the next tsunami's coming. We don't know when the next earthquake's coming. I was in California not long ago, and I was going up to the 10th floor in an elevator, and I thought to myself, I hope some big earthquake doesn't come right now. I don't want to be on the 10th floor and nothing when an earthquake hits. We don't know. This world is so temporary and things are shaking. The Bible even describes it as the whole earth groaning together. The whole creation groaneth together in earnest expectation for the manifestation of the sons of God. You had better embrace the eternal things and confess your confession of faith on the Lord Jesus Christ and disavow yourself of the things of this world. Hallelujah. Don't you know that it was faith with works that Peter gave to the people in the upper room after he preached? I mean, he preached a message so hot. That was a hellfire and brimstone message if ever one had been preached. He preached a message so convicting. The Bible said that that word was so convicting that it, it pricked their hearts. Every one of them. I don't mean there was just some one guy sitting on the back row who was a hardcore sinner and, and, his, and his knuckles were just turning white. He was under such conviction. I don't mean that. I'm talking about everybody in that room. Their very soul, their very mind, their very spirit was pricked by the preaching of the word of God. And, it, and it, that, that, that conviction welled up within them until finally they came out with the question, well, if we're such sinners 
And if we are guilty of the blood of Jesus Christ, and if we are the ones who have wicked hands, and we've crucified him, and we've slain him, and we've done such wrong and horrible deeds, what shall we do? It was to that question that Peter responded. Now, he could have said, folks, he could have said the first time that the remedy for sin was given is this moment. This is a precedent. This is, this is the law of first mention in the New Testament church. And, and Peter could have said, do? You don't got to do anything. All you got to do is repeat after me. And then send them through some prayer that, that, that they would repeat after him and recite. And then he could have sent them all home. But that's not what he did. And that's not what he preached. Instead, he fulfilled the great commission of Jesus Christ. And he told them exactly what they needed to do. Because in that moment, they were persuaded. They were persuaded that they were sinners. And they were persuaded that Jesus was Lord. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. At that very moment, they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they said, what shall we do about our belief that we are sinners? What shall we do about our belief that he is Lord? What shall we do about our belief that we need salvation? And Peter told them exactly what they should do. You should put works with your persuasion. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's faith with works. That's faith with works. That's living faith. That's faith that maketh alive. Glory to God. You know what you ought to do tonight? Repent. You ought to repent. And be baptized. Now some of you have already been baptized in Jesus' name. Most of you have already been baptized in Jesus' name. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. If you've already been baptized in Jesus' name, you don't necessarily need to immerse yourself in these waters again. But you do need to immerse yourself in Christ. You need to get back into praying, seeking the face of God. You know I'm preaching the truth. You know I'm preaching the truth. I'm coming against prayerlessness right now in Jesus' name. It's the root of your problem. And everything that you have need, you would have find it in God. And you know that's right. You know that's true. But some kind of a complacency is gripping you. Some kind of a laziness is gripping you. Some kind of a carnal mind is gripping you. And I rebuke it in the name of Jesus Christ. And I tell you, hallelujah, put works with your faith. Hallelujah, confess with your mouth. Embrace the things of God again. And let him give you the full power of faith in your life. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. I want to turn your attention to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. We're talking about faith that works, acts, the action of faith. Faith that works. Galatians chapter 5. Notice what the word of the Lord says in Galatians 5 verse number 6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith, which worketh by love. Love 
will motivate faith into action. I said love will motivate faith into action. Love will take your persuasion and put wheels on it. Love will take your persuasion and put wings on it. And several engines. You'll soar high when love gets a hold of your faith and makes your faith work. Your faith is to operate by the power of love. And so, so it is the love of God that constrains us and moves our faith from merely being a gift that God gave us. And it moves faith from merely being a fruit that, that is growing in us. And it moves faith from merely being a word that we openly express with our mouth. And it actually transforms faith into its most potent power. An action. An action. An action. I love the account in the scriptures when the disciples are on a boat. And while they're on a boat, a storm begins to develop. Now what's interesting about this account is that Jesus told them to get on the boat and go out into the water. Jesus did. Jesus said, I want every one of you to go get on that boat and I want you to go out into that water. Well, then it's fine because Jesus said to do it. So this is going to be the best day ever. Here we're going to cruise. We're going to cruise across this water. Because Jesus told us to go there. That means everything's going to be fine. We're not going to have any trouble. We're not going to have any problems. But Jesus actually told them to get on the boat and to go out into the water because he was going to allow a storm to come. And there were things they needed to understand about who they were and about who God is and about the power of their faith. And they would never be able to learn it. See the visual aid I got going on here. This is perfect. Perfect. Good job. Good job. They would never be able to understand the power of their faith unless they had seen it on full display. So Jesus lets him go out into the water. They get out there and the storm begins to rage, rages and rages to the point that they thought they would die. Anybody ever been in a storm like that? Spiritual, emotional, natural, where they thought they were going to die. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was the most horrible set of circumstances. And if that wasn't bad enough, here comes some mysterious figure walking on the water. Now folks, I'm out of there. If I see some figure walking on the water. If this storm wasn't bad enough. If us thinking we were going to die wasn't bad enough. Here comes some figure walking on the water. And they looked at one another and said it's a ghost. They might have even thought it was the angel of death. But they called it a ghost. And here it came. And the Bible says that Jesus was walking on the water. When, when God allows a storm to rage in your life. You better know he's going to show up. In that storm. And don't be so scared of the storm that you miss the manifestation of Jesus in your storm. Don't be so intimidated by how 
uncertain everything feels and how bad you wish you would have never launched out and how much you wish you would have just stayed on the shore and how much you long to be on solid ground. All of those thoughts are flooding your mind. Don't miss the fact that Jesus is going to show up in your storm. And some people resist him because they are scared of even him. They think he's a ghost. He's not a ghost. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. If anything, it's the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And if it were a ghost, we ain't afraid of no ghost. Jesus is walking on the water. And Jesus walks out and, and up to that boat. And Peter says to his, to his disciple friends, what if it's Jesus? I know we're all scared, and I know we all think that this is the worst thing we've ever been through, and I know we all think that the judgment of God has come down on us, and that hell has enlarged herself, and this is the worst thing in the world that could possibly happen, and now we got some ghost out here walking on the water. But what if it's not a ghost? What if it's Jesus? What if it's God? What if this whole thing was the Lord allowing us to learn something about Him and learn something about us? You've got to know something, ladies and gentlemen. We, in our fallen state, have forgotten who we are. You don't even realize that you are a son of God. Oh my goodness, I'm going to say that again. You don't even realize that you are a son of God. Well, Brother Urshan, that's, that's pretty strong language. You don't mind saying that you're a child of God, but you have a problem saying you're a son of God. You are a son of God, a child of God. The Lord needs you to understand that. He wants you to understand who you are. You have been brainwashed by your adversary to believe that you are something that you're not. You are to understand that God loves you, that God cares for you. And he cares for you because he's your heavenly father. And you go through so much without realizing that and believing that and knowing that. And you might be able to even say the words, oh, he's my heavenly father and I am his child. But, but you're not persuaded of it and you're not, you don't embrace it and you don't confess that this world is not your home. But that your home is with your heavenly father. Now, so I'm going to read to you from Psalm 8 while we're talking about this. Because here we're going to see this revelation dawn on the psalmist David. That he comes to an understanding of who he is. He said in verse 1 of Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who has set thy glory above the heavens? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. And I don't have time to get into this. Except to say, David was not just in awe of the, the fact that God had created moon and stars and heavens. And there were works of his fingers. David was decoding the information that God put into the heavens, the moon, and the stars. That's what the Bible teaches us. The heavens declare the glory of God. He gave the stars and the moon and the sun into the, put them into the heavens for signs and for days and for months and for years and for seasons. 
And while David is looking up into the heavens and he's considering them and he's looking into the moon and the stars and he's considering them and there are mysteries in that that none of us fully understand and God had to tell Job that. Job was saying how much he understood about God and God looked at Job and said, no, you don't. I have mysteries locked in the stars. If you, don't, if you think you know so much, why don't you tell me about the sweet influences of the Pleiades? Tell me about how Orion has loosed its bands. God began to name constellations that have in them mysteries that we do not understand because of our sinful nature. But while David is out there worshiping God and praising God and considering the heavens and considering the moon and the stars, he starts putting two and two together and realizing he's beginning to see the gospel preached to him through the heavens and day unto day uttering speech and night unto night showing knowledge and, and the sun is as a bridegroom coming forth out of his chamber. And he begins to realize, wait, wait, he loves me. He loves me. He's come to save us. That's why he asked the question, wait a minute, wait, what is man? Who am I? Because I think I'm more than just this flesh and blood and bone. What is man that you are mindful of him? What is the son of man that you visit him? And he goes on to explain what the Lord has done. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and with honor. You madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. He's talking about sonship. And he's getting a revelation of the fact that he's more than just a psalmist. And he's more than just a king. He's a child of the almighty God. His sinful nature had deprived him of that understanding. But in the presence of the Lord and in opening himself up to the power and the presence of God, he begins to come into an understanding. He goes on, all sheep and all oxen, yea, and all the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Glory, hallelujah. So when Peter is on that boat, Jesus is getting ready to reveal to Peter something about Peter's faith that Peter did not know. Jesus needs Peter to understand. Peter, I know who you think you are. I know you think you know your limitations. I know you think that you're just some fisherman. He's been on the water all his life, a fisherman. He knows these Sees, he knows these waters, he understands his own limitations, but Jesus has allowed a storm to develop in his life because Jesus is getting ready to show Peter, Peter, you can walk on water. And that's what you're going to find out in your storm. You can make it when you didn't think you could make it. That's what you're going to find out in the storms of life that you experience. You have a power in your faith you didn't know you had. God's going to allow you to experience a storm so that you can learn something about your faith you didn't know before the storm started. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Peter, and the Bible says Jesus would have passed him by. Jesus would have passed them by had they not cried out. I wonder how many times he's passed me by. They said it's a ghost. Peter said maybe it's not. What if it's Jesus? And so... He said there's only one way to find out. Lord, if it be you, tell me to come unto you. 
There's one thing he knew about the Lord. The Lord would never turn him away. He would never, he would never resist him. And so the Lord, just as the Lord does, come. Come unto me. Come unto me. And Peter, if I'm Peter, I'm thinking, you talking to me? There's a, there's a, this is water between us. And he looks, you talking to me or them? And the disciples were like, now he's talking to you. Don't you worry about that. We know exactly. He's not talking to us. He is talking to you. Now, if you want to go see him, you go see him. When Peter stepped out onto the water, he was persuaded and he embraced it. And he confessed that he was a stranger on this earth. You talk about strange. Seeing a man walk on water. That's strange. But he confessed that he was a stranger on this earth. And he began to walk on the thing that should have been able to drown him. And that's exactly what God will show you in your storms. He will give you power to walk on the stuff that should have been able to kill you. He's going to give you power to trample over the things that used to haunt you and taunt you. Glory! You shall tread upon the lion and the adder. But trample the scorpion under your feet. The serpent will have no power over you. You didn't even know it was possible, but your storm revealed it. And your faith, oh, I believe it's you, Lord. I believe in your power. I believe, do you believe, Peter? Then I want you to walk on the water. I want, you to, I want you to obey me when I say, come unto me. When Peter walked out on that water, he wasn't just walking on water. He was walking on the word. He walked out, stepped onto a C. Then he took another step onto an O. Then he moved over to an M. Then he moved over to an E. Hallelujah. You hear what I'm saying? You can walk on the word. You can stand upon the promises of God. If God said it, I believe it and that settles it. And I'm going to walk upon what the Lord has said. Woo, glory to God. Glory. Tell you something about faith when you're talking about I don't know if I can do it, I don't know if I can do it. Listen, it's already been done. That's how you can do it because you believe Jesus has done it. You're doing it because you are persuaded that Jesus has done it. That's the same reason Abraham did it, and Isaac did it, and Jacob did it, and Joseph did it, and Moses did it, and the three Hebrew children did it. They had the same faith in Messiah as you and I have. We each have a revelation. Our revelation of Christ is equal to their revelation of Christ from a different perspective. We both were looking at Calvary. Us in hindsight, them in foresight. We were both looking at Calvary and we were both, hallelujah, empowered by the work of Jesus Christ. From the foundation of the world. And they did it by faith in what he was going to do on earth. And we do it by faith in what he has already done. It's the same faith. One faith. Once delivered to the saints. Glory. Don't, don't you know that's why Abraham took Isaac up to Mount Moriah? You know why he took him up to Mount Moriah? The Bible says he accounted God was able to raise him from the dead. Now you tell me where Abraham thought, saw anybody raised from the dead. 
There was no resurrection before Genesis chapter 22. But Abraham took Isaac up to Mount Moriah because he believed in the resurrection of the dead. Having never seen a resurrection of the dead. Having never heard of a resurrection from the dead. He goes to Mount Moriah and this is what the Bible says. From whence he also received him in a figure. In other words, the resurrection was a revelation. You know how Moses made it through all that time in the wilderness Hebrews 11 tells you why by faith Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible there's only one faith faith in Christ faith in Christ theirs was a faith in Christ from an Old Testament perspective ours is a faith in the same Christ from a New Testament perspective so when we get ready to walk where the Lord tells us to walk we do it because Jesus has done it Abraham went looking for a city because he understood the ministry of Messiah. And he knew God would not let him down. Thank you, Jesus. Let's, let's lift our hands and praise the Lord right now. I believe God wants to do so many beautiful things in your life. Can you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ right now? Can you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ right now? Hallelujah. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name, glory to his name, glory to his name, glory to his name, glory to his name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Come on, that's it. Let's stand to our feet right now. Let's clap our hands unto the Lord. For he is holy and he is worthy and he is righteous and mighty. Hallelujah. Glory to the name of God. 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 Glory. Glory to the name of God. Glory to the name of God. Glory to the name of God. Always obey the Lord. Always obey the Lord. Always obey the Lord. When the Lord moves upon you to exercise your faith, exercise your faith. Without fear, exercise your faith. Hallelujah. Step into it. Walk on it. Let the Lord lead you. Let the Lord guide you. Hallelujah. Take that first step. That first step is the faith step. And the path begins to illuminate with every step that you take. Take the faith step. Don't be afraid to take the faith step. Hallelujah. God will give it to you step by step. Take each step until you arrive at the mount called Moriah. Until you arrive at the place where the Lord God will show you. Just keep taking the faith steps. You don't have to worry about the outcome. You don't have to worry about the income. Hallelujah. Just keep taking the faith steps. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I said, keep taking the faith steps. Keep taking the faith steps. I believe that the Lord is ministering to somebody right now. I believe the Lord's telling somebody to be baptized in Jesus' name. Right now, I believe the Lord's moving upon you right now to be baptized in Jesus' name. I believe right now the Lord is moving upon you. Come on, that's it. Receive you the word of the Lord right now. Receive you the word of the Lord right now. And let your faith be evidenced. Hallelujah. Let your faith be evidenced by your works in Jesus' name. All across this building, let's lift up our hands unto the Lord right now. Let's lift up our hands unto the Lord right now in the name of Jesus. Oh, lead me, hallelujah, Lord. hallelujah. I will follow. I will follow. Lead me, Lord. Lead me, Lord. I will, I will go. go. You, you have called. 
pecado. 